Good morning. In light of our chapel theme for the last few weeks, um, drawn from Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's something about faith. Um, I can share with you with utmost honesty that it has taken a great deal of faith for me to stand before you this morning. You see, the pulpit for me, especially Tyndale's sort of pulpit, has been etched in my mind as one of those holy grounds, you know, that I do not even dare to feel competent enough or adequate to stand upon. And thus, when I accepted this invitation to speak, I began to worry. I worried, would I be theologically correct enough to be approved by my biblical and theology departments? I began to worry, would I be grammatically correct enough for the English department, I think I might have made a faux pas in grammar already. And I began to worry, would I be profound enough for the philosophy department? <laughs> you know, I know that all of these must not be the concerns as I come and speak the word of God. And, and so yes, I have, I've surrendered them all before the Lord and I've been faithfully, faithfully surrendering down at the foot of the cross. But yesterday, I had one of those human moments. You know those human moments? It's like when anxiety times 100 just comes and flows over you. And it was in, those, in that moment that my seven-year-old daughter, who is quite empathic, she turns to me, sensing my anxiety. She says, Mommy, what's wrong? And I said, oh, I'm just a little nervous and worried about uh, speaking at chapel tomorrow. And she grips my hand, and with such childlike faith, she says to me, Mommy, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be stressed. The students aren't going to mark your message. <laughs> the professors aren't going to mark your message. You're just preaching for God. Amen. I was so humbled and reminded of the truth of what she said. You see, brothers and sisters, it is by the power of God and really for his glory alone that I am standing before you this morning. And may we all be reminded of this truth today. Whether we're studying, whether we're working here at Tyndale, whether we are teaching, whether we're whatever we may be doing, that ultimately we would be doing it for the glory of God. Will you join with me as I just begin our time in jumping into the word through prayer? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing moment just to pause, to reflect, and to encounter your presence in the midst of our very full days. We thank you that you are the God who speaks so powerfully and yet so personally into each one of our lives. Will you open our ears to hear your voice today? Would you soften our hearts to receive your truth so we may encounter your presence through our time here this morning? And God, may the seeds that you plant fall on good and fertile soil so that we may bear fruit for your glory. God, despite my inadequacies, inadequacies would you use me, O oh Lord, as your mouthpiece and guard all that is spoken so that it would be all in accordance to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's whether through these sort of trivial anxieties of giving a message or the more serious struggles of life, we all know that life is difficult. You know, we only have to look right around us to be starkly aware of this fact that was so intuitively understood, and yet when it was so bluntly articulated by Scott Peck almost 30 years ago in his book entitled The Road Less Traveled, it caught many off guard. You see, in his book, he points out that although we are intuitively aware of this truth that life is difficult, when, we, when this becomes a reality in our own lives, we often get caught off guard. 
And so when we are caught off guard, we're so ill-prepared. We don't know what to do, how to respond, what to hold on to. For some, these difficulties may come in the form of a poor mark or a grade on a test or a paper. You know, for some, our difficulties may come through a betrayal or a rejection by a close friend or a loved one. Maybe for some of us, we've entered into this time of difficulty. We've been befriended on National Befriend Day on Facebook. I don't know, for many of us, maybe these difficulties may be during a time when life doesn't seem to make sense. Or maybe it's during a time of waiting, waiting and waiting, waiting for the salvation of a loved one, healing of a disease, or an answer to prayer and yet not receiving the things we've been waiting for. For some of us, the difficulty may be in the answer itself. It's unexpected, it's undesired answer. And because, because many of us are unprepared for this reality, when difficulties do arise, when we encounter struggles and challenges, there is that natural tendency in us to begin to question, question ourselves. We begin to doubt, doubt what we believe, and some of us become hardened, hardened towards God, hardened towards life, hardened towards others. And yet the truth and the reality that life is difficult is not something that is foreign to you or to me. It is actually the very reality in which this side of heaven is all about. And it is this reality in which the very people to whom the book of Hebrews was actually being written for. You see, most commentaries tend to agree that the intended readers were Jewish Christians. And these were people that were being persecuted for what they believed. They were being challenged for their faith. Many of them were being persecuted. Many of them were being mistreated. And some of them were even being imprisoned. So life was difficult for them. And they too, brothers and sisters, they too were struggling in the midst of their difficulties. If we draw upon the context of the book of Hebrews itself, we can see that some began to question even the nature, character of God. You know, some began to doubt in the promises of God. You know, if we draw upon chapter five and six, we can see that some were becoming stagnant in their faith, ceasing to grow into spiritual maturity, while others, they were beginning to backslide, beginning to be hardened in their faith, and still others were even thinking of turning away from it altogether. And it's in within this context, within this very reality that the Hebrew writer writes chapter 11, which has been referred to as the great hall of faith or the heroes of faith. But you see these great testimonies of faith that we have been hearing about and the one that we will hear about today in the life of Abraham. You see, these testimonies were not written so that we could simply marvel at the amazing stories or retell them as rich Sunday school narratives and then we close the book and remain unchanged. They weren't written so that we could close the book and yet still remain so stuck, so burdened, so discouraged in the midst of our struggles. Rather, it was the deeper heart. It was the deeper intention of the author in writing these amazing faith testimonies that first of all, that their listeners would be reminded that these patriarchs themselves, they encountered so many difficulties. If you read throughout Hebrews chapter 11, 35 to 37, they encountered such persecutions, mistreatments, imprisonment, times of wilderness in their faith as well. And yet, 
in the midst of what they were going through, they were able to persevere with joy. They were able to hold fast to the confession of their hope because their souls were anchored. Their faith was anchored in the assurance of things that they hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Therefore, the writer of Hebrew writes in chapter 12, following this amazing chapter of 11, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, for who for joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I believe that God is wanting, desiring to speak the same message to each one of us today. So how can we? How can we draw upon the great faith testimonies found in chapter 11, especially upon the faith and life of Abraham. What can we learn about the essence of his faith that anchored him even in the midst of such trials and difficulties? Well, you know, in order to understand more fully, we need to go back to the book of Genesis. You know, when we look back to the bigger narrative of Abraham found in the book of Genesis, we meet a man, a man that faced many trials and challenges. You know, years and years and years of waiting for a son, conflict with a nephew that he so faithfully took with him, you know, fears and uncertainties of where is God calling me to? And yet in the midst of all of these, he endured because his faith was anchored, first of all, in knowing the truth of who God is. You see, over the many years and through the many struggles and challenges, Abraham came to know the heart, came to know the character of God so well that in the face of one of the most outrageous requests from the Lord to sacrifice his only son, the son that him and Sarah had been waiting for for so long, it says in Genesis, he did not hesitate to obey. But immediately, early the next morning, it says in Genesis chapter 2, he got 22. He got up and saddled his donkey and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. You see, even in the midst of some of the greatest challenges and difficulties, Abraham's faith was anchored in the truth of who God is. You know, for some of us in the midst of our difficulties and our struggles, we may be feeling like our faith, our knowledge, our trust in God may be shaken. You know, some of us in our struggles, we ask those questions, God, who are you? God, where are you? God, can I trust you? And yet I wonder if some of us in the midst of our struggles, we are wrestling, we are being shaken in our faith because we have anchored our faith in a limited or even distorted understanding of God's character. You know, some of us, our understanding and image of God is really limited to the God who gives us a really good parking spot at the mall. You know, when that parking spot opens up, we're like, thank you, Lord, 
You know, for some of us, our understanding of God is really limited to the God who puts those jeans that we wanted, those expensive jeans, on sale. And so we get to buy them, and we're like, thank you, Lord. You know, I can remember meeting a sister one time, and, you know, she was so grief-stricken one day, and I was talking with her, and I said, what's wrong? And she said, you know, I'm really wondering about the character and nature of God. Does he really know me? Does he really love me? And I said, why? What is troubling your soul, dear sister? And she says, you know, I've been praying. I was praying that when we moved into a new house, I prayed just one thing to the Lord. Lord, I need a house with two refrigerators. Yes, but I only caught one. Does God know me? Does God love me? She was asking. I'm not saying that God does not hear and provide for our needs, but you see, for many of us, our understanding of who God is is limited to what God gives. You see, when God provides for us, oh, we praise him. God, you are good. You are so good. You are worthy to be praised. But what happens when God doesn't provide what we've asked for? What happens when the prayers that we've been praying have not been answered? What happens to our belief in God? Many of us, we begin to question the nature of God. God, do you know me? God, can I trust you? God, are you even real? You know, for some of us, our understanding of God has been anchored in a very distorted understanding based upon our past or our pains or our brokenness. And that some of us, we believe that God only loves us, only accepts us when we're doing well, when we're serving, when we're spiritually good, then we can come before the Lord. But yet, when we are struggling, when we've sinned, when we've fallen, we think, God, no, he can't accept all of me. You know, I remember talking with a young couple who, you know, that they truly believed that God could only love them when they were doing well. And so when they were doing well, they were serving the church. They believed in God. And yet when they fell into sin and when they were struggling, they would turn away from God and not only God, but begin to turn away from the community of God. You know, there are many of us who have anchored our faith in a very limited or broken understanding of who God is. And thus, in the midst of our struggles, our faith begins to shake. And yet, rather than allowing ourselves to remain in that place of being limited in knowing who God is, I believe that God is calling us in these places of brokenness, in these places where you are limited in knowing who I am. Surrender that to me. Let that become the context in which I can show you more of who I am. And yet so often when God doesn't make sense, we then turn and walk away. But God is saying, when I don't make sense, surrender that to me because I want to show you more of who I am. Maybe some of us, we've been praying and haven't received the answers that we've been looking for. And so we want to walk away from God. And you know, but maybe some of us, we only know God who is the God who lays us down in green pastures. And yet God is saying, I want you to know me as the God who will walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. I believe that God is calling many of us in the midst of our struggles, in our limitations, in our difficulties, come, come to me. I want you to know the truth of who I am. I want you to know that I am the God 
who created your inmost being. I want you to know that I am the God that formed you. I know you. I see you. I want you to know that I am the God that I have struggled, that I have gone through weaknesses, that I have also been tempted. And so you can approach me. You can come to me, and I will give you strength. He wants us to know, you know that I am the God who's created the universe, and I am in control of your life. And yet as we go deeper into Abraham's journey and into his narrative, we recognize that Abraham is not just about knowing the truth of who God was, but we see that even deeper, he believed. He believed in God's promises. You see, if we go back to Genesis chapter 22, it reads that on the third day of their journey towards the mountain that God was leading them towards, you know, the mountain that he had said, come and worship and sacrifice your son Isaac. He says that it says here in chapter 22 that as Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, he said to his two servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We, my son and I, will worship. And then we, my son and I, will come back to you. You see, and as Abraham and Isaac, as they were walking towards the mountain, Isaac turned to his father and said, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And to this, Abraham answered with such confidence and certainty, Son, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. You see, Abraham not only knew the truth of who God was, but even in the midst of one of the greatest difficulties, he chose to believe, believe in the promises of God. You know, maybe some of us, we know. We know God's character. We know the truth of God's character. And yet, in the midst of our struggles, we are wrestling to truly believe. You know, so many of us, we know we've been created in the image of God, that we are worthy and significant because of who we are in him. And yet, when we get that bad mark on that test, we begin to question and truly believe, Lord, where is my significance? You know, we find that so many of us, we sing, we can proclaim that in Christ I am forgiven. You know, in Christ I am free from the bondages of sin. And yet, when we sin, we often wrestle with truly believing the truth of these promises. And finally, so many of us, you know, we may know, we know God is in control. We know he is the alpha and the omega. And yet when life doesn't turn out the way we expect, when we're feeling out of control, we panic. We try to take control of our lives and we truly fail to believe that God can be trusted with all of my life. Yet once again, I believe that our struggles our difficulties, our limitations of knowing who God is and believing in his promises can actually become the context through which we can come to know God, through which we can come to believe him more. You see, oftentimes, it is when we've reached the limit of our own abilities and when we've reached the limit of our own beliefs that if we can surrender that place before the Lord, that we can begin to be deepened and anchored in the truth of his promises, the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us, the promise that if we are to confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us, his promise that those who are weary and heavy burdened come to me, I will give you rest. I believe that God is calling some of us today who've been living far too long in that gap between knowing 
and yet truly believing. Come, come to me. Anchor your soul in the assurance of who I am and in the certainty of my promise so that your faith can be deepened. And finally, as we close our message for today, we recognize that Abraham, it's not just that he even just knew the character of God, believed in it, but we see that he responded. That faith is anchored in responding to God in trust and obedience. You see, back in Genesis chapter 12, when God first called Abraham to leave this place of comfort, to leave this place of familiarity into a land that was unknown, that was foreign, it says in scripture that Abraham heard God's voice and he left as God told him. You see, Abraham not, didn't just hear the call of God, didn't just believe the call of God, but he responded to the call of God. And the beauty of all of this is, is that as Abraham responded by taking one step at a time, he then came to know God deeper. And as Abraham came to know God deeper, he then began to believe God more powerfully. And as he began to believe God more powerfully, he was able then to respond again in obedience. And so although he may have not been knowing where he was going or whether or not he would even get there, he was certain of who he was going with. This, my brothers and sisters, is the kind of faith that he has been commended for. Maybe you know that God has been asking you, surrender, surrender. Take a step, take a step of faith, one area in your life, and yet you've been hesitating. Maybe God today is calling you to respond to him in trust, in obedience. So as we close, let me ask you this one question once again. In what, in whom are you anchoring your soul in? In whom, in what are you anchoring your faith. God desires that we would become men and women of faith, faith that is anchored in the assurance of who God is and in the certainty of his promises. I hope and pray that all of us, that as we hear God's voice today, that we would not be hardened in our hearts, but that we would be able to respond in faith and obedience to come, come and know me deeper, Come, come and believe me more powerfully. Come, come and respond to me today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for being the God who walks alongside us, who meets us just where we are and yet never leaves us there. Father, we thank you that you are the God who challenges us to know you more, to believe in your promises, and to become men and women who can be so anchored in our faith in you so that our lives would be a witness of who you are and of your promise to those around us. Give us, O oh Lord, today the courage courage to respond to the words that you have placed in our lives in truth, in trust, in obedience. We thank you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.